Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. On May 24, 2014, more than a dozen indigenous poets, storytellers, musicians, and spoken word artists performed at an event entitled Our Land, Culture, Community. Story, poetry, song, music, rap for liberation. The event was a benefit for the Indigenous Alliance Without Borders, whose mission is to affirm the rights of indigenous peoples, their right to self-determination, their collective human and civil rights, the rights of sovereignty, and the protection of sacred sites, and the free, unrestricted movement across international borders. Today's 30 Minutes continues with Part 7 of a multi-part series featuring host and organizer Simon J. Ortiz, an indigenous poet and writer of Acoma Pueblo heritage who specializes in indigenous literature. He is a Regents Professor of English at Arizona State University and convened many of the artists and introduced the speakers. First up on 30 Minutes, we'll hear Bill Wetzel of Blackfeet Heritage. And our next speaker is, uh, is a person who, uh, uh, for those of you who are poetry uh, connoisseurs or uh, just poetry lovers, uh, or same thing, uh, you have uh, probably uh, heard of the uh, Tucson, uh, Chuksan, uh Indigenous Poetry Series at, uh, at, at uh, the Casa Libre. And uh, that's the person uh, of uh, Bill Wetzel who has put together the series. And Bill is, uh, is quite a person. So please uh, welcome this person who is a writer and a poet. Please. Thank you, Simon. And yes, I am a person. So. Uh, yeah, I'm the founder and curator of the Shukshan Indigenous Reading Series, so if you're an indigenous artist, you might want to get a hold of me because I'm the guy that can uh, make stuff happen. I am also uh, on the board of the Tucson Poetry Festival. If you're interested in getting involved in that, um, be glad to help you out on that too. So, uh, Usually I'm funny. I don't really feel like being funny today. So, This is called, uh, well, I've been thinking about grief a lot lately. I've had a uh, my high school English teacher passed away within the last two weeks, uh, as did uh, my former apartment manager. And uh, I knew her very well. She's a very nice person. And uh, also a, a close family friend uh, of my family back home in Montana passed away, all just within the last three weeks. So everything I read today I'm going to dedicate to uh, Jan Choban, uh, Jerry Grinder, and Dave Larson. <clears throat> this is called The Grieving Woman. In our community, there is a grieving woman. Most of us know the reason why she grieves, although many of us do not understand why she has grieved for so long. We all understand grief. At first, we consoled her, but in time, we moved on. We still treat her with care and love her. However, many others in our community have had reasons to grieve since. People, communities, the world. Grief is a natural process. It is universal. We are all constantly grieving, but only so many of us can be consoled at any given time. Once you reach a certain quota of consolation, it comes time for the community to move on to console someone whose grief is more immediate. So this grieving woman continued to grieve. 
for months and then years. Then one day a man came into our community. This man was fascinated by the grieving woman. To us, she was what she always was, a woman in constant grief. To him, she was different. He wanted to know her. When we asked why, he replied, because she is beautiful in her grief. This, uh, this is actually, uh, it's fiction, but it's kind of creative nonfiction, and it's based on a true story. And it's, um, most of this really did happen, so this is uh, my favorite story to tell. It's called Wrong Number. For months, I dreaded listening to my messages. Several years ago, I lived next to the University of Arizona Agricultural Center. In the middle of Tucson, there were horses, cattle, bales of hay, and the exquisite smells to prove it. The distinct smell of cow wafted through my open windows. I could hear coyotes clamor in the night. Every evening I would come home from class, tired, ready to relax and do as little as possible. This strategy would have worked too, save for a series of disturbing phone messages. At first I thought the calls were simply a wrong number. However, they soon grew more frequent and increasingly desperate. They came from an older woman who worked at a hospital. She kept calling for someone named Barry, whose father was being treated for a terminal disease. I cannot recall her name. Let us call her Margaret for the sake of this story. At first, Margaret would call and leave a message like this. Barry, your father is still in the hospital. He is not doing so well. I think you should come visit him. It touched me, yet I guess she would figure out her mistake and rectify the problem quickly enough. Nope. Soon enough she was leaving more urgent messages. Barry, please, please come see your father. This progressed. Barry, this is Margaret. Your father has taken a turn for the worse. It's not looking so good. You really need to come down here and be with him. Margaret pleaded with Barry, her whole heart and soul, trying to get him to visit his father. Except this was not Barry's phone number, it was mine, and last time I checked, I was not Barry. Nor was I ever home to answer the phone to tell Margaret this. Those messages haunted me. I remember marveling how Margaret was such a loving, dedicated woman to take care of a dying old man like that. What a beautiful person, Barry. Oh, I could not stand that. I didn't know him, but I wished for five minutes alone in a room with Barry. I dreamed about knocking some sense into him. Barry was my Osama bin Laden. Never did a more vile creature exist in the history of the world than this ungrateful bastard who refused to visit his dying father. I had this impression that Barry was some rich, privileged snot. His father slaved for him, spoiled him rotten, paid for college, bought him nice vehicles. Then once Barry finished his expensive college education and got a high-paying job, he became too good for his family. Then again, maybe Barry was the victim here. Suppose his dad was an awful tyrant, faced with his own mortality, desperately trying to atone for his significant sins. Maybe he abused Barry. His wife and other children were long gone. They abandoned him years ago, and good old Barry was around for him to mind now, 
his last bastion of hate and manipulation. This prospect confused me even more. Imagine how it all messed with Margaret. There were times when I hoped she would call when I was home. I envisioned myself pretending to be Barry, thinking that his father was too far gone to notice any different. I would show up at the hospital, giving both he and Margaret some peace. All the nurses would love me, smile at me, think, gosh, Barry is so sweet to his dying father, so nice to us. I wish I had a son like Barry, except Barry would be me, or I would be Barry. I envisioned the funeral. A few people would show up, the nurses, Margaret, a stray family member who had not seen me slash Barry since childhood. Margaret would weep bitterly. I would hold her, comfort her, say, it's okay, Margaret. Dad is in a better place now. He feels no pain anymore. Margaret, the woman who watched my slash Barry's father wither into nothing, would find odd comfort in those acts, in Barry's kindness, in my kindness. We would promise to stay in touch, reveling over my father, the great man. We would forge a bond, incapacitated father, loving caregiver, and fake son. One night I was home watching television. The phone rang. It was Margaret. Briefly, I closed my eyes. The hospital. Margaret. My dying pretend father. A casket. Her voice trembled on the phone, aching, tinged with sadness. Barry, she asked. This was my chance to go through with all of this, to bring these people some peace. I could be Barry. I would be Barry. Barry, she paused, waiting, hoping, needing me to be Barry. My heart nearly stopped. Oh, I think you have the wrong number. More silence. I worried about Margaret in those moments, as if she were a great artist who just found out her life's work was lost in a fire. Here she was calling someone, pleading with them for months, now only to find out the whole time she had been dialing the wrong number. She took it remarkably well. She gave a curt acknowledgement, said goodbye and was gone. All business. I didn't know what to think. I do not know why I never said anything more. I could not go through with the deception, even for the sake of my dear friend Margaret, nor for the father I loved but who was not mine. I could not even do it to spite that reprehensible son of a bitch Barry. In the end, I was not him. I could not be Barry. And hopefully, I never will be. Thank you. You are listening to Remarks Made at Our Land, Culture, Community, Story, Poetry, Song, Music, Rap for Liberation. The event was a benefit for the Indigenous Alliance Without Borders on 30 Minutes, 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Up next, we hear from Ruben Kukbach of the Tohono O'odham Nation. All right, now we have our uh, uh, very last but best, right? Uh, I want to say a, f uh, a word or two before uh, uh, before the reader. Um, uh, the 
situation for indigenous peoples is not only uh, critical here, but it's really, uh, I think, uh, uh, much more wider, wider, and in in breadth, in in breadth than than just here. And I have uh, always tried with my writing and, of course, with my teaching and with the interactions with others, you know, to bring as much uh, help to, uh, to others because that is the way in which I think that people are able to bear their um, uh, loads of life in, um, with, with each other, with not just by themselves but with others, helping others. I am a With helping each other's, um, uh, we are uh, helping each other's to live and move forward. And so, I encourage us all to uh, uh, do that. You know, and uh, I hope that uh, with stories, with poetry, with song, with. Uh, with music, uh, any of the expressive ways in which we express this help, that that happens. Uh, so I thank uh, all of the readers and all of the uh, singers and all of the presenters, you know, for that. <laughs> so with those, with that in mind, I would like to present a uh, another uh, writer who I became aware of only really within the past two years, and that's... Uh, uh, Ruben Kuchbach, uh, who is Ootam, Ochohono Ootam, from here, from this land. This land is uh, uh, beautiful in and of itself, but it's also beautiful with the people who are, of course, uh, of this land and of this uh, part of the world. So, uh, with the writing that uh, that he does, uh, you know, speaks obviously for himself, for itself, and for him, and he speaks for it. So all of us, please, so welcome uh, Ruben Kuchbach here. <laughs> Good evening. I'll try to hurry up. I know we're all kind of tired, but... Um, so like Simon was saying, I um, uh, want to formally uh, welcome you guys to, to, autumn, to Autumn Lands. Uh, I think that's really important um, for me as, a, as an Autumn man. Uh, but I come from South Arizona. I, I was um, raised there and um, very much became a part of that, that cycle there. And I was brought up in an abusive home and provost area. So it was... Um, and, um, kind of exceeded the uh, American Indian dream, so to speak. But, um, so my first, my first poem is uh, entitled American Indian, and I'll just start. And into the darkness I walked, seeking a sacrifice that has to happen in order to continue forward. I looked back at the escaping light of my path, and there was no fear in my heart. The crisp, empty loneliness encaves the darkness so that I will see clearly, and I am consumed in perfection to unlock the limits of your existence, in this dimension, I hear the cheers of my people, those who died fighting, those who died walking, those who died of broken hearts, those who died so that we could exist today, and those who lived in the connection of peace and beauty before the foreign footprints. 
The emotional tears told me to be strong, to endure. They told me that I would walk in shame, in guilt, then in self-pity. For one day I would become the American Indian. They told me that in, the, in that time I would hurt my own people, that I would become a drunk, an addict. They said that I would be... Ha- they said that I would be a begging slave who lost his tongue and that I would be raped of almost everything dear to me. I must endure. I sit in the darkness with clear vision, listening to my fallen tears and the tears of those before me. I was told that those tears would lead me through this time and that I would change the American Indian I have become. I must endure. From the darkness I walk into the light and here I am. Not to satisfy you, but to promise all life the laughter of native children in a time beyond this world. I'm the American Indian, and I've come too far to follow foreign footprints anymore away from myself. The American Indian is more than the limits of European ideology and religion. I'm responsible for our connection to Mother Earth and all life. I must endure. I will endure. So where I grew up, um, uh, I had had a well, I had neighbors, but in particular, I had a neighbor, um, and there were a couple of kids there that were younger than me. I was about seven, and so they were about four or five, and um, they would they would come over frequently um, to eat. They would they would ask for food um, and um, ask where their mom was at, and they, she she's home passed out. And so um, I started, um, I wrote this poem because I grew up in an abusive home, but my mom didn't drink, which is really weird. But it's just the way she was, I guess. But I, I, um, I saw how, like, you know, when I go to the house, I see how they, they were living. And um, we weren't that far off, to tell you the truth. But okay, so the, this poem's called Beer, Beer Stained Blanket. <clears throat> A little boy cries, Mama, I'm hungry. Mama, wake up, I'm hungry. His mother lies passed out drunk, deaf to his cries, numb to his knees. The little boy sits next to his mother in the dark, crying because he is alone, hungry, tired, and neglected, knowing only of his hurting hunger of food and of his mother's attention. Slowly the boy is becoming as deaf and numb as his mother, and now only crying because his heart is heavy with his emptiness. It hurts. The little boy is cold. He wipes cold tears from his eyes and from his little red face. He's crying. His crying softens down to a whimper. He gets up in the cold darkness and walks over to the couch. He takes the empty beer cans and bottles off the couch, then takes the beer-stained blanket back to his passed-out mother. He covers her as best as he can, then lays next to her, trying to forget his hunger and emptiness. The little boy holds his mother and tells her he is sorry for crying, that he is sorry for being hungry. He tells her to go ahead and sleep, that everything will be okay, and that he loves her. The little boy lays there, still holding his passed-out mother, quietly looking around their dirty little house in the moonlight. He softly says, Mama, I wish we weren't poor. Mama, I wish we had some food to eat. Mama, I wish we had good clothes to wear. Mama, I wish I had a dad. Mama, I wish he didn't drink beer. The little boy can't look anymore. He shuts his eyes, 
He looks, he holds his mother as hard as he can and prays, Great Spirit, don't let my mother die. Don't let my mother drink beer anymore. She's always drunk and passed out. Don't let her die that way. She is my mother and I love her. Please help her, Great Spirit. With a heavy, empty heart, the little boy falls asleep, warming, warming them both in the beer-stained blanket. And then um, it's kind of a sequence of the way I, I, I put these, these four poems together. Um, this one is, I call it Adapt. It was um, in, in the, the lifestyle down there. It's obviously it's, it's near the border, so there's a lot of transaction, um, transporting going on. And uh, I got, I got kind of um, introduced to that life uh, at a young age. And so I lived that life. I, was a big part of that life. Violence and um, drug dealing and all that was a huge part of my, my world for a long time. Um, and so eventually I got, um, I got caught, got taken away. And um, this poem I wrote, I was, I, was in, I was in four days and I knew that I was going to be going away for a long time. I went away for five years and a month. But I knew I was going to be going. And I knew that I had to change some things um, mentally. So it was called adapt. The constant hump of the day, the constant hum of the day in which the shallow tease of life mocks me, yet my discrepant brilliance has, wakened, has weakened in haste. For words escape my sodden mind while images of everything important, of simple delights torment me, compelling lost control. Take this control for it's merely insanity lying to this man inside of me. Faces continue to grow from all sides, debating similar waters of my mind, casting me into unmapped terrains to fend without myself. How dark this light. My fears rampant with my woes, skinning the flesh of, of my serenity, hollowing this man inside of me. Send me from breaks in my mind, from gaps in my heart. The vines of despair blossom sweet suffering fruits, which foresee my path ahead, taking opinion along with choice somewhere far, somewhere forbidden. Adapting to, the, adapting to the climate I, I now dwell, painfully I abandoned this man inside of me. Um, it's kind of ironic because before I went to ASU, I felt the same way. But um, this higher education, I mean, period. So, um, and the last one, I I, uh, I took a sample um, with some students at ASU and and, and um, in Phoenix, period. Um, um, natives asked them what they saw, and they saw a rainbow. The majority talked about the um, the pot of gold, um, the leprechaun, that whole bit. And, and then I asked them what, what, what age they were, five years old, and um, where did they learn it? Family, TV, school, friends, relatives, mother, father. And um, they're all native. I think out of... 25 people, only two people told me their, their traditional um, definition of a rainbow, what a rainbow means to their, to their tribe, to their people, to them individually, out of, out of the 25 people that I sampled. And then it, it was kind of like um, alarming because if you're taught that at a, at a young age, five years old, um, and those aren't your thoughts. They don't even come from this, this continent. They come from, from Ireland. They're not even from here. 
if you're thinking things automatically when you see things, then what, what's built upon that? You know, where are your thoughts? And what are actually your thoughts in terms of your people and your tradition, um, it, where you come from? So it's kind of alarming, but I wrote this poem um, kind of after that. Just in, I just call it before. I turned rainbows to dust so that you could have your pot of gold, so that you could see thoughts before the weight and time of gold. Perhaps you're dreaming of nothing to make your life mean something. Perhaps you're dreaming of complete assimilation as the conquered are, are eventually supposed to do. Praying for the wings of Christ to justify your dishonorable quest as you become the civil Indian in uncivilized eyes. Reaching, for, reaching from dominant dreams, I validate my own demise while I push philosophies of my own, of my own ancestors further and further from who I am. But I don't care, not for me, not for you. Remember, I dream of nothing to make my life mean something. I'm dreaming of complete assimilation so that I could be more civilized. Yet how do, how do I live made up of nothing so far removed? Yet how do I live made up of, of nothing and so far removed of my savagery that I've been taught that was my ancestors? My heart hurts filled with disgust of the eyes I see with. I can no longer dishonor those who lived in the, in the time of the American Holocaust. I can no longer kill my ancestors with thoughts that are not mine, so I would dream to make their life mean something. Beneath boarding school basements, the philosophies of our people were practiced. In the corners of slave camps, our culture was kept alive in, the secret, in secret to carry on the life form, life form that makes up everything that is us, we, together. It is from the strength that I am able to walk my path that I am able to decipher reality from fantasy. For my connection to Mother Earth derives from my people, my people's philosophies, not a book. I'm here to take the barbed wire off of every so-called reservation, off of all the concentration camps that have been, that have been trapped your heart, mind, body, and spirit for, too, for so long and has given haste to everything we've always known to be good, to free your mind of churches in the ways that never belong to you. Creator has given me sunlight to live today. Take your justified sins to the killing God of Christ. The God has killed my people not once, but twice. I'm I am tired of the lies that I made up Native America since the bullshit discoverer washed up upon India. I will hold the ways of my people high and honor the great people I come from. My ancestors, my ancestors didn't give this time a name. I was only told that I belong here with you and that we will build beautiful things together. So long as I dream beyond the, the rainbows of gold, I, was, I will always know my own strength and courage. I will always know my own strength and the courage my people never sowed. Together we will restore the true beauty of the Creator's rainbow in how we live upon Mother Earth, away from other people's stories and their greed of gold. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Ruben. This is the end of the formal uh, presentations by the po storytellers, uh, poets, singers, and rappers. And we have come to the end of the evening when we are going to hear a song by, a closing uh, song by uh, Klee uh, Benali, who uh, earlier uh, also uh, presented. So with that, uh, I think that uh, there are no real uh, 
I mean, except to say thank you, of course. Uh, we thank each moment, we thank each day and uh, night that we live. And uh, that is the way that uh, I have always learned to, uh, you know, to express myself in prayer. It's really more a meditation than anything. When we are grateful and we, when we uh, think uh, uh, of uh, of the life that is uh, well lived, you know that is the way in which we go forward in a in a, in a positive uh, for, way. You've been listening to remarks made at an event entitled "Our Land, Culture, Community: Story, Poetry, Song, Music, Rap for Liberation." The event was a benefit for the Indigenous Alliance Without Borders, whose mission is to affirm the rights of Indigenous peoples their rights to self-determination, their collective human and civil rights, the rights of sovereignty and the protection of sacred sites, and the free, unrestricted movement across international borders. Today's 30 Minutes included host and MC Simon J. Ortiz, an indigenous poet and writer of Acoma Pueblo heritage who specializes in indigenous literature. In the first portion of the program today, we heard from Bill Wetzel, followed by Ruben Kupak. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. This has been the seventh and final installment of a seven-part series. I'm Amanda Shogger.